I'm Devin Scott. He's back for the intros, folks. I'm Will Ross. Today, we're joined by Allison Duke, a filmmaker and arts activist. She was the co-writer and co-producer of the new documentary, Mr. Jane and Finch. Allison shared a Canadian Screen Award for Best Documentary Writing for the film, and we brought her in to talk about what exactly it means to write a documentary. Welcome to Film Formally! Alison Duke has joined us today. She is a writer, director, and producer whose artistic activism has produced award-winning films. She's worked in both documentary and in fiction, and her multi-hyphenate credentials have been used in just about every combination. Writer-director, director-producer, writer-director-producer. It's a movement between duties that our often rigid conception of behind-the-scenes roles frequently doesn't really account for. And in particular, we wanted to talk about the task of writing for documentary. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Oh, thank you so much. That was a great introduction because I was just rewriting my bio and I didn't know which one to put first. <laughs> uh, and I thought, okay, what am I, what, what is this uh, attaining to? And then, you know, I, I put the right order. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> good instincts. Yeah, yeah. It's putting, putting multi-hyphenate in there really helps too. It makes people go, ooh, impressive. You use the word multi-hyphenate. <laughs> Well, the multi-hyphenate lifestyle is an interesting one, because uh, I find that um, if, uh, especially as a cinematographer, colorist, director, people are like, but what do you do? <laughs> and um, you kind of have to go, which, which, which one am I first? And uh, then that leads to an existential crisis. Anyway, uh, <laughs> exactly. We'll definitely be talking about the multi-hyphenate lifestyle. Recently, Allison's work on her television documentary, Mr. Jane and Finch, won two Canadian Screen Awards, the Donald Britton Award for Social Documentary Program, and the Writing for Documentary Award, shared with the film's director and co-writer, Gaddy Conte-George. The yes. film documents the challenging political campaign of Winston LaRose, a longtime pillar of Toronto's Jane and Finch community, who, in his 80s, decided to run for office for the first time taking aim at a seat on the Toronto City Council. Allison, when does the actual process of writing begin on a film like this? Wow. Okay, great. Great question. Um, well, we were initially uh, drawn to Mr. LaRose and his story um, through his archives. He is somebody who has been a, like an amateur documentarian in the Black community community. Uh, mostly around, you know, issues in, Tor in Toronto and Ontario uh, for the past, like, you know, 50 years and have been documenting the community in various means, whether it's Super 8, you know, VHS, <laughs> mini DV, all the forms of, you know, documenting community. Uh, he's, he's done it and acquired about 6,000 hours of footage that we were really interested in getting into getting our hands in um, into and and actually looking and seeing what's there um, because uh, we we're very interested in the legacy of a lot of activists in the city and we heard that he was documenting you know a lot of this activism over the last 50 years so um, yeah so that's how it started it's almost like you know okay what if you're making a movie and it's supposed to be about one thing about this man's rich archive and then it turns in to something else because of what he wants to do with his life. 
you know, um, so it became that kind of a writing process. Uh, we did a tremendous amount of work around the archives and, and pulling out some interesting story and stories and trying to connect it to him as a man, as a person, like what motivate, what, what can we see in this material that is part of his motivation as a person, as an activist? Like, why is he collecting all this, you know, all these footage and what does it mean to him personally? And, um, but then when he decided to run for, you know, public office, you know, and all the drama that happened in the last uh, provincial um, election, you know, we just thought, you know, we got to go where the story is going. That's pretty much the writing process on that one, you know? Right. That's interesting <laughs> to me because um, it's, it's interesting to me that you, when, when asked, like, when did the writing process begin, your answer wasn't, oh, when we began organizing this material into a shape or when after we had looked at it but your answer was when we were looking through these archives that was when the writing process began so the writing isn't just a matter of actually sitting down and doing the equivalent of the pen to paper moment it's always been that way for me uh it just because a lot of times i'm looking for the hidden gems uh in stories the stuff that people don't hear or you know know about that i i think that they don't know about i i came into the industry as a sort of like a like a critic like a critical writer of community issues i used to write i, have, I had a column in the the metro word which is our arts and entertainment um magazine uh years ago and i had a column called sister says and it was always about like you know looking at issues from a different point of view or you know talking about things in a strange way and so for me, it also involved talking to a lot of people from the community and hearing their stories um, from immigration stories to, you know, just their life stories. And I'm just very fascinated with that. So when I'm, when I'm researching films, it could be you know, drama or documentaries, I'm always looking for those stories. And, and the personal archives is a great way of getting into those stories because sometimes people forget, but, you know, they're looking at an image and that was, you know, that would draw to mind, oh, wow, I remember that day. And I remember what happened that day. And it, this brings out, yes, I was meeting with Lincoln Alexander, <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, you know him? <laughs> and, then it, and then a new story develops. But yeah, I, I just like that process of researching the material. I've worked in documentary only a couple of times and only really properly in a, uh, what could be considered a writing role once. And one of the reasons I was excited for this episode is I could never figure out exactly how to explain to someone like when the quote unquote writing process begins, because we, we when we were making our documentary, we did not know in advance at all what the story <laughs> exactly was going to be. We were just trying to create the environment where we knew stories would happen. And I think that's interesting what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But not a story. The that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to think about showing people footage and recollection bringing out stories as a part of the writing right because it's the same way that you're generating writing when you invent stories just by showing footage and generating memory you're writing in your own way right you're you're creating new narrative ideas and then you're chopping them out of your story as necessary or chopping them in yeah there's something about asking questions you know in terms of the writing process like when you're when you're formulating your questions and you're going to your subject or the person that you're interviewing or, or whatever you're doing in your documentary, but the, asking the questions, like formulating the, the questions is actually a writing process. 
You know, um, we do a lot of work around that before we go into any situations. Like not only what should we be asking, um, because you don't want to ask things where it's just, it's, it's, you know, there's a way of asking things where it's just facts. We just need to know this information, dates and times and all that. But you'll never tell a story in that way because it's boring. It's like a laundry list, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, you know, but we, we try to figure out uh, how we're t- asking the questions and when we're asking the questions and marry that with the emotional arc of what's happening. So sometimes we'll ask a question many t- different times um, throughout the recording or the capturing of the of the footage uh, to the same person or to different people the same person it could be the same question but we might ask it in a different way because we know at this moment in the film they're going through exact thing that we want (laughs) the timing is lining up to that issue to that emotion to oh it would be great if we said something about this we know the answer because we've asked them that before but if it doesn't here it would be really great it would help our edit in this scene much better and then we can throw it back you're parsing the subtext live, right? Yeah. And there's there's nothing more exciting when you're interviewing. There's that classic thing in interviewing of let the silence hang for a moment and letting the silence hang and seeing it coming into their head uh, right before they do it is it's an adrenaline rush, man. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. And then there's sometimes we don't we don't ask. We know what the question we want to ask, but we don't ask it until the time is right. We do that sometimes, too. Right. Yeah. Taking taking the shots at the right time, yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed something that um, it's not at all super unusual, I guess, but um, it's unusual at least in this particular subgenre of documentary that this kind of eventually happened. It seems to have fallen into, um, and that's that uh, the interviews with Winston seem largely done at in the, in the moment throughout the film where um oftentimes you know in uh documentaries especially things you know for example political campaigns thing you know you have one interview afterwards in retrospective um but here winston appears to be talking contemporaneously about things as they happen and he's in different situations when you're talking to him i take it that is probably useful in uh, kind of keeping the documentary in the present and that always really interests me where you know is, is this documentary occurring in the past is it a relitigation of something or is it a tale that is moving forward and the audience is moving forward with the time the story takes place in um, is that something that is an active consideration or is it kind of a process you set up that is done for practical reasons that's exactly what we're trying to do like we figure out what's the tense of the documentary very, very early on. And we talk about that throughout the process. Like when we were first starting the, this film, it was about his archives. So it's about stuff that happened before. And it was going to be like this wonderful retelling of this older man trying to rescue his archive. And it's, it's just, it survived like two floods and it had some molding on it. And it's about him trying to, you know, do all this stuff with this archive. And a lot of the footage, people who he has videotaped throughout the years haven't even seen it. They just heard about this thing and we were going to have this, you know, really beautiful film where it's about that archive and then him kind of like presenting it or, you know, exhibiting it somewhere and inviting community to watch it and having these moments. So you can see that as a very easy, like, you know, kind of, okay, this is what we can kind of do. And then there'll be some surprises throughout. 
so that would kind of like you know be about the past but then there would be a story that's driving it forward where he's going to eventually exhibit this material showing how people's actions are actually affecting people in the present day and so when he decided to run for public office we thought okay Here's a part where we can show more of his community activism that came to life more, where you see him talking to people in this community just to give you know, some insight on the inspiration uh, behind why he might run or think that he could even win, right? Because you know, once you put that out there, everybody's going to think, is he going to win this thing? You know? um, and so there's all these layers to it, but it's very interesting. It's like a puzzle, right? And once you, once you kind of set, set into, okay, we know the tone, we know the tenses, we know the, you know, we know the active story and how vibrant it can be, then you just go for it. I feel like, you know, that's the hardest thing in docs is trying to figure out what is really the true active story in the movie. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, this is something that I really wanted to bring up is, is, you have to commit to a story. You have to know the things that you're interested in. But at the same time, you're just hoping that you're, you're going to get uh, something that is really interesting at the end of it, right? And a lot of this is hard work and a little bit of it inevitably boils down to luck. I want to know a, a little bit about your personal experience with the peaks and valleys of the story, you know, the highs and the lows for the subject or character or however you want to put it. How do you react to those moments where you go, ah, that we're not really getting those valleys that, that help us identify or commit to what's going on or, or thinking like, okay, things are kind of flat right now. We need some peaks. We need some little victories, you know? Yeah. I think we're really lucky with Winston's story, like Mr. Jane and Finch, because at, at the very first meeting when he was deciding to run for public office, there was sort of like this, like, should you be actually doing this? Like, could, should you be not running for a school trustee instead? And, and so we thought, mm-hmm, there's a, there's a, there's an issue that we can kind of, you know, this is a premise. This is like a, a big question, you know, overhanging the whole, you know, film, like, should he have not just gone for the school trustee? Like, why did he try to do this, you know, especially at his age and not having this connection? And so I do this and I, I, I'm sorry to say that I do this, but I look for the train wreck too. <laughs> I look for the train wreck. Like I point, I point out like, what is the potential train wreck in, in this situation? Not to be that person that's just like, you know, chasing ambulances or anything like that. But it's part of the story. It's, 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 you know, a lot of documentaries tend to be these beautiful profiles on people. And sometimes we lose like all the grittiness and all the, the challenges and the struggles that the person went through in real time because we're trying to protect our subjects. And I do feel like sometimes I do protect my subjects, but then I also want to be fair to what is going on in their life and be able to show that as part of how amazing this person is. And it's sort of like a way of like looking at the subject and the issues that's happening in the film um, in a way that I want people to see themselves in that subject and feel like how they're feeling going through it, going through their, their issue. It's kind of hard to explain, but I just want to take you on a ride of that person. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just that. And, and I think that's the best 
way of telling a story about the person because we want you to, at the end of the day, I want you to feel like you're Winston. To really overextend the metaphor of the puzzle you mentioned earlier, um, I think maybe a good way to express this of what you're saying is documentary filmmaking is one of the few times where you can craft the puzzle pieces as you're going (laughs) and then, uh, you know, to make a better puzzle at the end. And um, I mostly act as cinematographer on documentaries, but so I I get to like see this from the outside a little. What I notice is a lot of filmmakers I work with, um, they're doing exactly what you described, looking for the train wreck or almost trying to predict the emotional center of the story as they're going forward. And then they make decisions now to lay the tracks for that. That's like four metaphors they just mixed there. So I apologize. <laughs> yeah, you did. You um, did. You did. But but you always, ha- you always have to look at it from the person's POV, right? Because mm-hmm, if we right. do this, if we're like kind of standing back watching the train wreck, that's one thing. But if we're kind of in that person's body and looking right. at it, it's a different thing. Get them so, in the train. That's the trick. <laughs> I guess it depends on like you know the subject and the tone of the film. Like if it's, um, if if it's a subject that you don't necessarily want the audience to share the experience of that you want to be observing, I think one might make different decisions. Maybe. Yeah, and and we know that the larger issue in this film with Mr. Jane and Finch is about the community. What the community have been has been going through perennially around racism, anti-black racism, lack of supports, gentrification. So, you know, there's, you know, we're able to hang those issues on this journey uh, so you can kind of experience it. And I think it, it does because we had Winston being such a strong character and his voice is so amazing. He's got this incredible diction and the way he actually articulates things is just quite interesting. You don't really see that kind of man <laughs> in that way on television, like being so you know, astute and like old school, you know, he's old school and he's got his tie on and just the way he is. And, and we wanted to use that, you know, use him um, to tell the story, which is his story, you know, just get into that, get into his body and (laughs) tell that story. Was that part of the impetus behind having the voiceover primarily be Winston? Because Winston is the voiceover track throughout yes. a lot of the film. I mean, there's there's more conventionally, it's tied to a talking head where you hear the voice and then you see the talking head. And a lot of times in documentary, that kind of signifies, okay, that is not the author of the story. That is, is that is that the idea of allowing Winston to be the author of his own story? Absolutely. Right. And And working with Winston through that, because he would tell us things and he would tell us maybe a couple of times that we didn't get the time race. He said something here, but we want him to say it there, you know, somewhere else. So we would rewrite, do some a little bit like tweaking of some of those, you know, things that he said for time and making sure that he says it in the spot that we want him to say it. Not in real, like, it's more like the voiceover that you hear. I, I, I tend to edit my documentaries based on the audio as well like the the written material like how it sounds i love radio yeah i love you know just hearing stories so that comes that goes back to my past you know listening to people tell their stories and then putting pen pen to paper so there was a lot of just a little bit of like working with him and he never said he never repeated anything he didn't want to say we made sure and we would talk to him and we have discussions with him and and then finally when we were locking picture we just had a little session with him to just 
you know, reiterate some or go over some of the um, the narration, the pieces that, you know, maybe didn't quite work for time or we wanted to get more, be more in depth about the point he was making. And, and then that was our final recording for the film. And then we married it to picture and we were done. The collaboration between you and Gaddy on set and in the editing room, what did that look like? I did not go on set. I probably went on set the first day. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I thought I saw you credited as like a sound recordist or something. So maybe it was like... Maybe uh, that was the one day. <laughs> some other part? <laughs> no, I, I, um, you know, I didn't go on set. Gaddy is a, a fascinating... She's a great director. She's very... Um, you know, she's she's a lot gentler with her subjects than I am. She's really great with her subjects, and they had a tremendous rapport. Um, also, before we even started filming with with Mr. LaRose, we spent about a year with him, you know, just having different conversations, meeting with him, um, looking at his archives, going re- reviewing his archives, trying to preserve some of his archives that were molded and all that stuff. And so we did a lot of, we spent a lot of time with him. And so when we got the green light from CBC Docs POV, I just went one day shooting maybe the first interview. And maybe I did some uh, scanning of photographs and just trying to preserve as much that day as possible. And then I left her and, you know, she shot the whole thing. But then we would look at, we would look at the footage coming in and we would, I would be like kind of tracking the story with her. And we had this huge wall with all these post-it notes, which is we still do. I don't know if you all still do that, but I, you know, that's another way. I was actually going to ask about that, whether you do that, because that's, that's like the first thing people think of. Yeah, the, the post-it yeah. notes and, and trying to fit in like, you know, this is the archiving movie that we're making and putting it together and then realizing when you decided to run for public office, just that the whole thing was going right. to change because immediately with our post-it notes, the ending had to change. The ending we knew was always going to be, did he win? Is he going to win? Right. Right. Or is he going to drop out? Like there's a couple questions we had. Is he going to go follow through? Is he going to file, you know, to run on time? Because there's a deadline. He says he's going to do it, but is he going to actually follow through? If he follows through, is he going to drop out? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, If he goes all the way, is he going to win or is he going to lose? So that goes at the end. It's very practical stuff. <laughs> I, I noticed that uh, the film is broken into basically three acts, right? You have act and almost at least when I watched it on CBC Gym, where it's available for free to stream for Canadians. It's great. The first 14 or so minutes were introducing Winston. Should he run? If so, how? Second act. Oh, Doug Ford comes barging in and destroys democracy. <laughs> um, and then third act, um, you know, the election occurs and uh, he comes in six. But, uh, you know, there's a ton of resolve there and there's this like kind of nice ending. And within each act, though, there's a substructure where, you know, it introduces the current status quo. And then we go back to... Uh, in, in hindsight, now that you've talked about it, um, almost like we go into the archival movie. Right. Where it's about Winston's history. And then we go back to the present at the end of every act and some, you know, big uh, plot development happens Uh, that felt like a conscious structuring. Um, How did you arrive at that structure? That was like a lot of a lot of hard work and scratching our heads because you kind of we didn't want to let go of the archival stuff because the archives look great. Right. So that was like a like that was like a filmmaker. And that's like a Gaddy like 
I want my archival movie in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've looked at all these art, like, you know, thousands of hours. Um, but to her credit, she picked the most brilliant pieces of his archive that would reflect how he thinks. We've decided that the archives would kind of be used in a way that would show or augment or support his motivation for the way or or support how he is today as an activist. What is his motivation of, as an activist or how he thinks and his depth of understanding about the community issues and his philo- personal philosophy. So we wanted to use the archives in that manner. And then I think it really kicks home when we talk about, you know, his personal life with his, with his wife being a divorcee and having these children and then the loss of his two sons. And then he makes that great statement, you know, the community is my family. Gaddy asks, you know, so what about your family? You know, don't they miss you? Whatever, you know, the community is my family. And so that was sort of like a big statement in the, in the film. And he said that to us a couple times, you know, and she asked it again at the right moment. And um, we said, we got to ask him about that, you know, because that will tie in all this really rich archival stuff. And it would give us that big statement about who he is. And that was really important as well. I know I'm adding a lot of things in here, but I know that good. was really important. Specificity is our thing. <laughs> okay. That was really important as well because we didn't have that much access to his family. So there's one thing, like when you're telling the life story about an older person or anybody in general, you want to hear, you know, if he's so great, like why isn't his family there saying how great he is, right? Or, you know, that person, right? So there was a, we had an actual problem that we had to solve and we did eventually get a, a hold of one of his sons. But then, yeah, so it, it just all managed to tie in. And through that information, we were like, oh, we could just you know, write that. And there's the, there's the big uh, cherry on top of the Sunday when he says the community is my family. We've solved, resolved the problem of, you know, not going into his family or having, trying to chase down family members that might not want to be on camera for various reasons or whatever. And I really like that because it, um, oftentimes when I see works in this subgenre, there's this sense of like, you know, things that are glossed over where you go, oh, you know, the parenthesis here is we don't talk about that. (laughs) And um, this time I I love that um, the film ties kind of, what would traditionally be seen as maybe like, you know, a, a, a rough personal life in that sense, right? You know, uh, someone who has, you know, been through a marriage that didn't work out, that sort of thing, and tied it into his ethics and ideology. And um, and uh, it feels like a much more complete portrayal of Winston as, a, as opposed to being kind of like a hagiography. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, uh, which, and um, on that note, um, I, as far as the um, making a political documentary, uh, it's always been fascinating to me. It's like one of my bucket list goals. Um, I've only I, the only political stuff I've done really is when I was a campaign videographer for a candidate who lost, <laughs> and who um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> remain unnamed. It, it was an interesting experience because I found myself on the far end, the opposite of the documentary end of, you know, how can I manipulate reality to make this person look much better than they are? Right. <laughs> um, v- versus documentary ethics, which I have very strong feelings about, uh, which is, you know, the idea that, you know, we're, we're going for something resembling 
a truth as opposed to getting caught up in, you know, uh, the aesthetics of factualism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of like um, Errol Morris once put it as, I'm going to, you know, if you shoot with a handheld camera, sometimes, you know, suddenly truth emerges. Uh, it's like, <laughs> It's, it's like putting a certain quality of tile in your shower that's more truthful, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, how, how did you and uh, Gaddy and the whole team, of, and, and I guess Winston too, because I think the subject is a collaborator in this. Yeah. Um, how, how did you all collaborate to kind of um, arrive at something you thought was a ethical framework of trying to get at the truth of, of the situation you're depicting? Uh, it just It just brings me back to the history around Jane and Finch and the intergenerational issues that are still there and just peeling back, you know, having a moment in the documentary where we're able to just peel back, you know, the layers and layers of issues and also take it back to, you know, well, how did Jane and Finch get actually started? Like the film is called Mr. Jane and Finch. (laughs) It gave us license to actually go as far back as we wanted to go and kind of have this, hey, this is a retelling of the story in a way that a lot of people may not have known. And, you know, finding some of this like really great archival, you know, footage uh, of early activism in the area, really doing a lot of research around, you know, the density issues that that was developed and how the community seemed to be always pushing back uh, against government and against uh, the policing in that community. I'm also a big fan of this early documentary by um, Jennifer Hodge De Silva and Roger McTeer on Jane and Finch. And it just showed the disparities of new immigrants in that area. It was one of my favorite documentaries for a long time and really excited me about the documentary art form and how you can really show social issues and what people are experiencing if you're able to get into the community, embed yourself in the community and just be patient and build the trust of people um, who you're following to tell authentic stories. Uh, And then just seeing, just knowing that film, knowing about that film, and then, you know, years later, we're seeing the same issues. And this is decades later. There's something, there was something that was just, I, I don't know, it was kind of sad because, you know, we have all these, politicians in the areas fighting for control and and there's no real progress being made in a a positive way for people that live in the community. And there you have these people like Mr. Jane and Fitz, Winston LaRose, who is, you know, decided to run this organization, this small organization with a storefront in the Jane and Finch mall there and talking to people doing this like one-on-one type of activism. And so I really wanted to show the scale of that, you know, this whole, the history, but then the political fight and unrest in the area. And then you have this one little guy in this area trying to make a difference every day. And there's lots of people, you know, we know in that area trying to make a difference, but everybody seems to know this guy. And just taking a look at how people just walk into his little storefront and tell them his, their problem and, he tries to, you know, support them in whatever way he can. I know he's not as, you know, he's not able to solve everybody's problems, but he listens. And I thought, what if we kind of, we all took that approach in society, you know, where we're kind of a little bit more like Winston. And when people have issues, you know, just listen to people. 
And there's just something about that that I thought was magical that we didn't we didn't we don't get to see all the time. We see the activism on the front line and people protesting and that kind of stuff, but we don't see like this kind of activism. Those little gestures can be so difficult to just like you film it and maybe it doesn't come across in just the prosaic camera angle. Um, Did you and uh, Getty kind of develop any strategies for trying to convey that to an audience? Yeah, and that's credit for Gaddy. Like at one point we're like, we need to, <laughs> it's exactly what we're thinking. We're like, we need to get this. Now that he's running for office, we have to backtrack and kind of like, we've got to show what he does in the in, in that space. And so she she camped out there for like a week. Just, and her focus was like, I'm just, I'm just filming Winston talking to people. For the people who will let us, of course, you know, be a part of that conversation. And and I think that's where all the magic came out of um, that time when she was just dedicated a set amount of time just to sit there. And of course she went back for other things, but there was just a set intense moment where she just was just observing him and capturing him, talking to people. And, and then it was kind of great because some people would return. So there's some reoccurring people. And so um, at, the end of the, at the end of the film, those people were able to come back we realized that they were a part of his life. And so they came back to the end and, be, you know, spent some time with him during that, um, the final scene, which was really interesting, you know, that he had a family within this, within this stream of people coming in. There was like this core group that would come by every couple of days and, and spend time with him or ask him questions or had a longer, bigger issue that they had to deal with and just kept, in, kept on visiting him. And I, I'm glad that Gaddy had that patience to just sit there with the camera person, the sound person for a whole week. And just wait. Yeah, I, to tie together some of the things we've been talking about, I mean, so much of this is about what we've been talking about, whether it's on the end of the people who are being filmed or on the end of the filmmakers. It's about who is telling the story, how do we help them tell their story versus how do we tell our own stories and, and this ties into what I'll, what I'll call the multi-hyphenate problem, which besides being a challenge when you're filmmaking, right, of, of where you let go of one duty and you focus on others um, and when it's right or wrong to do that. And that ties in so closely to the film, too. That was one of the things I was really excited about with, uh, with talking to you about this stuff, because in the film you have two of the biggest nadirs of the subjects is you have one conversation where there's a bit of an argument that forms where someone says, I, I, my understanding was never that I was supposed to do this. I was focused on this other thing and I was doing that one thing. And to me, if I do that one thing, I'm, then I'm successful. And then there's that great moment of, which is always one of the best things you could hear in a documentary of please turn the camera off. Because please turn the camera off never works because you always know exactly what happened after that moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Later, Winston himself has kind of, at, a, at a different meeting has an almost inverse reaction where someone suggests, you know, maybe you can, we can take away some of your time um, doing your community work and just like take an hour away from that at a time to focus on your campaign. And he says, absolutely not. I will not compromise on that work at all. I'm going to do both, but I'm not going to compromise on that community work. And there's that struggle of how do you how do you do both, right? And it's this 
problem that I've felt myself in terms of, and I think a lot of us do when we have jobs and other passions on the side of how do we be successful in all the spheres of life we care about. Does that, did that ever, I'm trying to think of the best how way do I do all these to, to phrase and... this. <laughs> how do you do all these things? And, and did that, did that, I mean, as someone who, does a lot of things yourself <laughs> did that did that resonate for you watching winston yeah you know when winston made that comment that i'm not gonna do i'm absolutely not going to do this i'm gonna be i'm gonna do what i've always been doing and i'm not gonna compromise this i thought that that, that was just a powerful thing it was kind of really graphic you know for me to hear this you know because i am a hyphenated person in terms of my my career and what I do, yeah, there was something, there was something kind of, it, it was like a, it was like a principle. Like it was like, he was very principle in the way that I, I, I haven't heard, you know, someone who kind of, you know, came to be in this multitasking kind of generation where you kind of have to do everything, um, you know, to, to, you know, pay the bills, to, to move up <laughs> in this industry. You can't say no. You know, and to hear him say no, but it was kind of strange too because it's like, dude, you're running for office. Like, you don't you know that you what you have to do over here? But it kind of added a little bit to the charm of his character. You know, you can respect it, but then you know that okay, I can respect you, Winston, but I know that's not gonna be, that's not a good thing right now for you to be <laughs> thinking that way. That's interesting that you think that I'm, I'm so glad uh, uh, to hear that you have a strong because I I was a bit undecided because spoiler alert, he ends up not winning the election. I guess we already mentioned that, but um, um, he ends up not winning. And to me, there's this question in the back of your head is not knowing exactly what the outcome would be. Was it right for him to hold on to that principle? And for me, it's it's a tougher thing to to decide but for you you seem to be a uh, uh, very clear-minded about like you don't think this was probably the right call for him to get his goals in line does that sound right is that fair characterizing yeah what you're yeah no 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 that was great no, no that's exactly how i feel and is it because someone that i'm someone who's sort of like ambitious about my career and i want to you know move ahead and make bigger movies and with bigger budgets. Is that why, you know, I'm thinking that way? Um, you know, Winston's 81. So he might have a different, based on his age, he might, he, he might have a different way of thinking about the world and his values. And his values are really, really interesting throughout the whole movie from family to this, you know? Um, and we never, we never really asked him throughout the process, if you notice, throughout the process, he never answered, do you think that question, do you think you can win? Notice mm. that that's not there? No. Uh, and it's I such did not a, notice, like, embarrassingly enough, I did not notice. <laughs> it's not, we never asked him that question, do you think you can win? Right. And because we were playing with that, we were playing with that energy, you know, we want the audience to kind of figure that out, do you think you could win? And so this, you know, kind of statement he makes it's just another one of those statements as a viewer you can kind of say oh he's not going to win oh that's a bad because we want you to partic participate in the way he thinks right um 
this actually got me thinking about utilitarianism (laughs) 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 because i'm like okay so uh, what what philosophical construct would uh, you know would mean that focusing more on uh you know the campaign would be considered a moral good right because if the utility of, of really focusing on the campaign means greater moral good in the long run then a utilitarian would say, oh, you know, screw the community community service. Just focus on the campaign for now. Necessary evil. But, you know, a different type of moral philosophy might say, no, no, it should be, you know, you should you should not necessarily give that up. And I, I guess that, anyways, this is nothing a good to do question. with No, filmmaking. this is a good, no, this is actually, I like this conversation, this point that you're making, because really, on the higher level of this whole thing, when you look at the political process, and what we know um, of politicians, should he be a politician or should he be a community activist? Ah, yeah, right. because when you're a politician, your hands are tied in certain ways, you know, and, um, but you also have, you're imbued with certain responsibilities and powers. So, you know, would he still be the same Winston that we see in the documentary? I think critically, he would be he be Mr. Jane and Finch, right? Like that's Would what... he be Mr. Jane Finch? Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's all about him. It's his philosophy. It's our philosophy looking at him. It's what's going on in communities. And um, I, we, our, our aim was to tie all those things together. And so the writing process was just very layered and thinking about these questions. Like graphically, when he made, like when he made that statement, it's a graphic statement. It's like, you're saying this, but then it also gave you this philosophical kind of uh, way of looking at, at him and, and the film and, um, the end results, you know, you don't really feel bad that he doesn't, he doesn't win at the end. Right? No, well, no. Yeah. And that's really interesting to me in light of, for example, your disagreement with, with that particular decision of it, because if, and this gets to another thing about being a co-writer and being a co-author is, is the idea of, I mean, at the end you could have said, Hey, you know, um, um, not being willing to compromise, cost us progress but instead as you said you allowed us to stay in winston's head and hear winston's reasoning which was listen i've like this is a fulfilling life to me if you feel fulfilled as i do then you're leading a good and meaningful life and that's his that and it just explains his logic behind why he was okay with losing why he was okay with um um, compromising on certain aspects of his political campaign and it would have been very very easy um, um and i think valid a different set of filmmakers might have decided to end more emphasizing on this, if not making a judgment about whether we should compromise on these things or not, at least calling it more into question. But we stay in Mr. Jane and Finch. We stay right in Winston's head right up until the end. We hear his logic and his reasoning for doing what he did. We were just excited at the possibility that, you know, we would have a big, a wide audience that could, you know, make, make all these, their own decisions and come to their own conclusions about right. how they felt about it. Like this discussion is just really interesting to me because this is exactly, you know, you know what I like. I'm smiling you did because it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really get, get that sense that um, it's almost, you're giving the audience the tools they need to come to their own conclusions rather than pointing them in a certain direction. And the latter for me is a sticking point I have with a lot of, I would say, um, Info docs, I call them. Um, I've um, I, I went to docs a couple years ago, and I saw four or five of these in a row, and um, and I kept getting like you know the feeling that you're not 
you know, question, films that aren't giving you questions to answer yourself, but are giving you one answer that you're meant to arrive at. And I think that's a very closed way of, I think, discourse via film. Um, unless, of course, your goal is agitprop, in which case, go crazy. Um, <laughs> but um, um, I have a completely curveball different question I have that I'm dying to ask um, about uh, fiction and documentary. Oh, right. <laughs> Last week we had Dan Saladon who did 14 and um, he's a fiction filmmaker, but he talked, he introduced a really interesting concept, which was the idea of documentary invading his fiction film. Um, the idea that you can make room for things like happenstance. You can even just train your camera on the world that you don't control and mm. stuff will happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really personally interested in the opposite, which is fiction invading documentary. Mm. Um, the idea that we use tools that are most commonly associated with narrative fiction. Um, I, I really got turned on to this when I worked on the film Pumpkin movie with Sophie Ramvari, pre previous guest. And um, it was made as a film where we didn't even use the word documentary, but it was received as a documentary because there's the stories told in the film are nonfiction, but the setting that it's set in is largely fictional. How does that inform your creative process on a film, right? Um, what what differs when you're making a fiction film versus what's making a documentary, I guess, epistemologically? Okay, so with... I feel like with fiction films, my head doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is, as you can tell by the way I think and all that, there's like a lot going on when I'm, you know, thinking about documentary and there's a lot of... Um, you know, retelling of the story in posts that you have to do. It's an inevitable, in, in, inevitable, uh, I can't even speak anymore, sorry. It's, you know, it's hard to do. <laughs> no matter what your script is, you always have to, you know, retell the story or find a way of telling, retelling the story in post. I think this, the same thing happens to a smaller degree in, in fiction, but my head is hurting less is because I'm shooting what's on the page. And I can let in, you know, I can play it as loose or as tight as I want to. And I think that's what, you know, you're talking about, like, you know, letting, you know, have, have this freedom, this feel, uh, feelings of uh, freedom when you're shooting stuff in fiction might be interesting, like being more free with your camera and not so you know, rigid on, you know, are they crossing the access? Where, do, where am I putting the camera? You know, do I have coverage? Do I have my close up? Do I have this? You know, being able to just like put your, 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 two, your two subjects or your two actors leaning against the wall, telling, you know, talking to each other as opposed to like in a certain setting set like perfectly in the frame, you know, like just being a little bit more messy with it. Right. But I do enjoy with the fiction that everything's on the page and there's so much prep around what is on the page. You know, in terms of you know, you know, set deck, art direction, and all that, um, it 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 makes me feel like you know, once you settle into it, like you know, shooting, it makes me feel like you can actually play more in a fiction documentary. You have to so you have to worry so much about getting the actual story, the actuality of it. Right. There's less. There's less of that ethical thorniness when you're working in fiction. You can just go, okay, this is just a story I'm telling. And it's just a story I'm telling, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it can be as made up as you want or as factual as you want versus a documentary. If you start just lying to the audience, they'll rebel. And also you risk crossing some red ethical lines, I guess. Yeah. Documentary, if somebody walks into your frame and starts talking to your subject, that changes your whole scene. 
like that will never happen on the fiction right um so yeah and then they have a really good yeah they could have a really good conversation or debate some something or punch your subject in the face and you know unless you get that person to sign a release form you can't use it <laughs> you're you're similar to dan in that way where dan talked a lot about the anxiety of of uh, more unpredictable filming methods yeah um, I, I find like I, I have a constant debate in my head raging between like, you know, direct cinema, which is you observe life as it happens, cinema verite, which is you confront the people on screen, you know, or like the, you know, the what was the name of Werner Herzog's manifesto? <laughs> the duck did the, the uh, oh, his, the, the term is the ecstatic truth, the ecstatic truth, oh, right. where it's like, you know, you, you're, you're basically free to do whatever you want as long as you're fighting for you're a warrior for truth or whatever. I mean, I am sympathetic to that, but um, some call it lying. <laughs> do you think? Yeah, as well. Um, do your kind of views on kind of what constitutes ethical representation in documentary filmmaking um do you see yourself as a part of any of those kind of like maybe like ideological lineages? How do you arrive at that kind of ideology yourself? I do think there's a problem in documentary uh, of people going into communities that they don't, you know, they don't know anything about or they're not from and they go in and, you know, they're looking for the truth. And um, it's not a collaborative process with the people that they're filming. There's income um, inequities, um, you know, they come in with the latest gear and all that. and they're going into situations that might have a lot of issues and there's no sharing of resources and all that. I do have a lot of problems with that. Um, I would have less of a problem with that if somebody was saying like, I know nothing, I want you, and I'm interested in the subject and you're a co-author of this and let's do this together. Like, you know, I think that's a better approach. Um, in terms of like, you know, when, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know, we, we have such, you know, high ethical, journalistic ethical standards here um, in Canada. Uh, and, and I think it's a, it's it, sometimes it's, uh, I feel like it's a, it's a sort of like a false premise that, you know, we are told that we have to follow when making television documentaries. Uh, I do feel that there's certain things you shouldn't do. Obviously, there's certain things that you shouldn't do. You should always aim to tell the truth or someone's truth, truth, and be clear that that's that person's truth rather than the truth. But the structures of broadcasters right now is that you know they look at uh, Canadian history and Canadian stories as from one point of view. It's a very, um, it's hmm, it's kind of like okay. If you look at any kind of, why am I missing my words? For me as a black woman, I've seen a lot of like racist kind of, you know, anti-black racism, you know, lens put on stories. And, and as a black woman going into these spaces, telling these stories and being told that there's like, you know, you have to abide from this, you know, journalistic, you know, integrity and standard. It's like, Sometimes I'm thinking, are you for real? Like, I've seen the stories that have been, you know, produced from across the board, all kinds of broadcasters in Canada. A lot of them are very inaccurate, stereotypical. Maybe I've even produced or directed some of them. I don't know. But I do feel like there's a false sense of, you know, what is 
integrity and what are best practices? Do you have particular quote unquote best practices in mind that you think are not really best practices or, or where it's more fluid than it's often stated to be? Um, like what is the truth? We need the truth. We need documentation that what this person is saying is the truth. So everything in the documentary, you have to kind of have like an annotation, like where the, where did this come from? Did this come from the person or are they quoting something with this figure, the stats and all that? And you can look at, you know, if you look at systemic racism, you know that, and we don't collect race-based statistics in a lot of our, um, you know, institutions, anecdotal confessions or oral history, uh, it gets discounted. Right. So that's just like one very practical thing. But there's many things like, you know, I, I believe that, you know, subjects who are in documentary should be paid for their time. We can't do that here. I actually did not know that. That is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe in that. Like, if I'm getting paid to be at a certain place in time and record and whatever, I feel like this person, especially if there's someone that's going through some issues or there's, you know, or social issues or uh, injustice or whatever, they also should be compensated for their time. It doesn't mean it has to be cash, but it should be something. Like, there should be some kind of exchange of yeah. of something. They're collaborators. Yeah, you're collaborators. They're, they're, they're co-authors in their own way, right. I don't believe in the, you know, the director and the producer going in and just taking this person, like, you know, telling the story and then, you know, at the award ceremony or when it gets sold or whatever, they get nothing out of it. Oh, you get your story told. Aren't you happy, you know? Your story gets told. Right, it's a very old school newspaper style standard. Yeah. When you translate that into different mediums or contexts, that doesn't always, that principle's reasoning quickly breaks down <laughs> in the new scenarios, right? And I've written about this. I've written about this, um, you know, about like some of our greatest documentarians, you know, and award-winning Oscar, you know, winning films. You know, if you look at the situation, of what they're capturing and nothing has happened to help that person that they're capturing. It's kind of problematic. Like, so your, your crews are going to just go into the situation. You see this big, huge problems. Then you're going to leave, you know, and then you're going to go stay in some five-star hotel and then come back the next day. And the person still has the problem and you're not allowed to give that person any resources to fix that problem. Well, this is rude, I think, in this kind of idea of the strict dichotomy between artist, filmmaker on the pedestal looking down at a subject. It's a very kind of anthropological yeah. way of looking at it. And I, I think, like, if we're still in that mindset, we're just going to keep remaking the Nook of the North. And I do think that it also establishes what I see as like this false hierarchy that establishes, you know, the primacy of the, you know, auteur over the subject rather than the auteur in a position right. of humility. Exactly. Um, you know, working with the subject. Right. Yeah. And, and, and just, I mean, this is part of like just the competing debate in documentary about solidarity with the subject, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is solidarity, like, and a lot of people, it's, it's a very polar thing where is solidarity with the subject, like something that is good and should be, especially if the subject is like sympathetic or doing the right thing or in a difficult or marginalized position, is solidarity just outright good and something that should be established and not broken? 
Or is solidarity something that should be actively avoided in this more journalistic impulse? I mean, from my phrasing, you can probably guess a little bit which way <laughs> I right, fall right, in. I'm pretty right, right. No, to you. Yeah, that's a leading question. But, Very good. You should be a lawyer. So. I'm <laughs> leading myself to uh, saying something I like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of reflection that we have to have in this uh, in the documentary art form and, and figuring things out, um, especially if we're saying that we're, you know, we're all for equity and and um, you know anti-black racism and anti-racism and more progressive agendas and 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 all of that. We need to think about our own institution and systemic uh, oppression within it and how we deal with subjects and being with collaborate people who are subject but are collaborators. The central kernel of the idea you're getting at, I want to kind of uh, especially highlight because the idea that the ideology we go in to a situation is not necessarily a ideological framework that is built on actual like virtuous things or things that are, are you know will help with the betterment of society or even are just straight up ethical a lot of them are based on you know centuries of really bad <laughs> frameworks and built in things like oppression and uh, what we're doing here uh, for those listening is you know it's poking at those and questioning the basis for which we're thinking. Yeah. I think good. <laughs> no. Yeah. We have to, we have to, it's the time is now, <laughs> if not, you know, <laughs> if not when, <laughs> right. You can see why documentaries make heads hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I just want to say how just coming off the two C essay wins and one getting the award for, uh, documentary writing, you know, that's just been really, really exciting for us because, you know, a lot of the times when people want to collaborate with us, they don't understand that, you know, documentaries are written. You have to write the show and um, it's a process and people have their own different process, you know, kind of way of arriving at how to do that. Over time, you kind of know yourself and you understand how you like to work and which is great if you get to make more than one or two or three documentaries. Once you understand that process of how you like to work, it, it's such a magical thing because then it just opens your eyes to, you know, how you should be approaching of the film when you get in there and you're about to tell that story. You can rely on those techniques that you use and you can be confident in those techniques that you use. And you will also, you know, create a, sort of like a library of what works and why and how it works, you know? And then you become more and more skilled. So I can't wait till I'm writing, you know, my next film. Like, you know, I, I've got a, a film actually in development called Bam Bam, the story of Sister Nancy. And it's, a, it's about um, the most sampled reggae uh, vocal by a woman named Sister Nancy who recorded it um, in 1982. And, um, you know, it's been sampled by everyone, like Kanye West, Jay-Z, and a lot of people don't know her life story. They don't know the wild ride of creating the song and her life. And, and she's still on tour. So I'm using what I've learned in Mr. Jane and Finch to you know, help write this story. And it's working. And then hopefully the next one I do after that, I'm gonna use what I've learned. And um, I think that's what a writer does, you know? Is there anything you'd like to plug before we uh, wind this down? Um, my short film, Promise Me, uh, Promise Me is a short film. It's based on a true story 
um, that was a documentary that I shot in 2007. It was, it's about uh, a woman living with HIV. And uh, I made a film uh, at OEM Media Group. We have a lot of different films in, um, in development. Uh, Gaddy's working on a project that's uh, sort of like hush, hush, top secret, but it's an environmental uh, social justice documentary that's just a wonderful uh, film about what's going on on an island in the Caribbean after a hurricane. She also has a VR project that's linked to it. So she's doing a lot of uh, VR work now and it's just extraordinary. Another film we're working on is called Mother in the Movement and that is directed by Lori Townsend and it's about the story of Stacey Ann Chin. She's a, a dub poet in the United States who is an activist and her life and what she's doing now in community is, is really, really interesting. She's basically uh, raised her daughter as an activist. So it's showing that process of how to raise your children as an activist. It's just really inter interesting. And it has all, this, all these other layers to it. But yeah, so those are the films that we're working on now. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get shooting on Sister Nancy. Awesome. Yeah, a lot of interesting projects for now. People listening to this in Canada can watch Mr. Jane and Finch on CBC Gem online. It is 40 minutes well spent. Uh, if you're not in Canada, I guess now's a good time for you to get a VPN so that you can pretend you're from Canada. Allison, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a really great conversation. All right. You guys were great to talk to. Have a great day and we'll hope, I can't wait to hear it. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Paige Smith, as ever, is our associate producer. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Hey, come on, subscribe to us. And while you're at it, on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and a review. That really helps other people discover it. I can't say this enough. If you want to come on the show or if you've got an idea for a topic, get in touch with us. You can get in touch by email at filmformally at gmail.com or social media on Twitter or Facebook at filmformally. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. We'll see you around.